All right, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to today's newest episode of Heal Thyself. I thank you for taking your time out, putting the download button and listening to the show. It means a lot to me and the whole team here at Heal Thyself. Thank you for rating. Thank you for reviewing. Thank you for subscribing, blowing up this show. I appreciate you all. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your enthusiasm. Today's show is going to be fire. And I say it every time because I mean it and I truly believe it. But today's show is going to be amazing because I'm talking about a topic that I have yet to talk about, uh, community, and how important it is to our overall health, as well as I have, I have an amazing uh, product review to go over, fish oils, which is something that a lot of us use uh, from whatever age the young all the way to those who really need it. And the special guest, Michael, is going to be on fire. I love him. He has so much important stuff to say. So without further ado, why don't we just jump in? Community, community. It is the number one topic for 2020. You will see in one of my posts earlier uh, in the new year, I spoke about the top five things for health this year and community was up there. Social connection, wait till you hear some of the stuff I say about this, is so important for our overall health. It is the hottest factor of 2020. Mark my words, you're going to see more of it through Instagram, through blogs, through talks, through YouTube, everything is gonna be based on community. Why? Is because there's more studies coming out and we're learning more about it. We have to look at our own physiology and understand why it's so, so important to understand what our relationship is to the outside world. What does connection mean truly, right? We think about connection, we go, oh, well, I can connect with my friend, I'll just shoot him or her a text. What is real connection? And that's what I'm gonna talk about and what the implication is to our health overall. We are naturally social beings. That is part of our inherent DNA pattern. We are to talk and connect. But society, as you'll notice, is structured to reduce our quality and quantity of these meaningful relationships. In fact, over the past two decades, there's been a threefold increase in Americans reporting that they have no confidant, which is amazing because go back three decades, we have a lot more connections where we can call someone and say, hey, listen, I want and need support in this. I'm gonna open up and being able to show up for someone else in that capacity, being so important for that connection. Uh, but we're not having that anymore. And I think it's because of the advent of media, technology, and all these things that are sort of giving us this pseudo connection. So how can this be? Well, I mentioned the technology thing, but our brain, our body, our soul knows that nothing can or ever will replace the true human-to-human -human contact. Why? Because there's an energetic component that has to do with that that is beyond words. And that energetic component is what is healing when we talk about support. So think about it. How many of you know your neighbors? Truly, truly know your neighbors because I don't. I don't know nothing about it. I don't even know what they look like. How many of you take time during the week or the month to foster some sort of community? right? Because I certainly wasn't till fairly recently. And maybe some of you may have a deep, deep bond with someone outside of your partner, but I guarantee there's going to be a lot of you that don't. So we have to really get those gears going on how we can foster better, deeper relationships at whatever age, you know? It doesn't matter if we make a new friend, that new friend can be really the support that we need. So here's what we know, social relationships and social connections both affect our health, the quality and quantity of connections that we have. Social relationships influence our health outcomes as adults, and this is seen in the literature. And not just mental health, physical health too. An article published in Science Magazine showed that lack of social connection is a greater detriment to the health than obesity, lack of physical activity, blood lipids, smoking, and high blood pressure. That's pretty incredible. 
But how about longevity? Well, for over 30 years, we've known that folks with close relationships live longer than folks who are in social isolation. How about morbidity and mortality, death, early death, and sickness? Look no further than this meta-analysis. A meta-analysis, which is a, a, the highest level research study out of, out of the Journal of Psychological Sciences back in 2010. They reviewed 148 articles, and that's close to about 309,000 participants. And when they analyzed these individuals' mortality as a function of social relationships, what did they find? They found people with stronger social relationships had a 50% increase in likelihood of survival than those with weaker social relationships, 50%. The finding remained consistent across age, sex, initial health status, and the cause of death. And my favorite part of that whole article is this quote by the authors. They said, these findings indicate that the influence of social relationships on the risk of death are comparable with well-established risk factors for mortality, such as alcohol and smoking consumption and exceed the influence of other risk factors such as physical inactivity and obesity. I'm going to say that again. These findings show that meaningful social relationships are comparable to quitting smoking and drinking and are more impactful for our health than the risk of not exercising and being obese. Wow. To me, that's mind-blowing because as a clinician, when you read something that powerful, because we know about the power of reducing weight and exercising more, but when you read something that powerful, that blows your mind. So why? There are two theories on how community and connection facilitate health. There's one, the stress buffering model. What this means is that relationships help provide tangible resources from one person to the other. This helps buffer those deleterious effects of stress, right? So as stress starts chipping down, whether it's acute or chronic, let's say a death in the family or just a chronic work stress, when they start chipping down on our health, we have these resources from our supportive community. That's a supportive model, the stress buffering model. The other one is the main effect model. And this says social relationships may directly encourage or indirectly model health history behavior. So what that means is that basically in your community or network, Jan is really into yoga and that piqued your interest because you heard about yoga and the benefits of it and then you start doing it. So that's that's a sort of a health by proxy situation, but that assumes also, which is not my favorite, it assumes that everyone in your community has healthy habits. I'm more of one who submits to the stress buffering model where when you have a network or community, you can provide tangible resources or supportive resources via sitting down and just hearing someone out. I think that's more of where I see the benefit of social relationships, but those two models stand in the literature. The Journal of Health and Human Behavior which was uh, a, the whole study on basically analyzing what the power of social relationships are. In this article, the author stated that studies show that social relationships have short and long-term effects on health, for better and for worse, and that these effects emerge in childhood and cascade throughout life to fo foster cumulative advantage or disadvantage in health. Again, this is echoed to what we just said before. Actually, this was one of the first articles back in, I believe in the 80s, um, this article was the, one of the first to show that social relationships are connected to your physical health. But think about us biologically, right? Being part of the tribe meant that we survive, and meaning that we survive mean we get to pass on our genes. And at our most basic level, energetic level, we are seeking and needing connection, right? Because that power of human emotion and connection really just translates to love. Is That's what every species of animal, human seeks. So throughout time, the worst thing a tribe can do is excommunicate you. That is the punishment, right? There was a uh, study in the Journal of Theological Sciences that said this quote, excommunication leaves the victims or survivors thereof 
with indelible scars and marks, often of an unbearable nature. This is why they excommunicated people out of the tribe or out of the Amish community. But what is the most severe punishment in the correctional system besides execution. It's solitary confinement. There's a reason behind that because psychologically and physically, we're going to be suffering indelibly because of it. So we have an innate biological and spiritual impulse to live within our real true nature. And our true nature has always been unity. For better or worse, we are undeniably one. And that's seen through quantum physics and even religious texts. We know that that connection, the need to be part of something is deeply, deeply ingrained in our DNA. So I speak about getting back to nature so much, right? What do we do? Are we eating whole foods? Are we moving? Are we exercising? Uh, are we wearing the blue blockers at night to block out that light that is affecting our melatonin? And then are we waking up in the morning and letting the light hit us? Are we sleeping seven and a half to eight hours? I speak about all these important things, but we as a community are not speaking enough about what the importance of social connection is because it is as important to getting back to nature than all of those factors. So what are we missing? The fundamental need for social connection, that oneness. Why do you think sports are so popular, right? If you ever truly think about why sports is a uh, fantasy popular epidemic in the country, because we love watching sports. Why though? Is it the competition? Is it the novelty? Is it the drama? Maybe so, but maybe on a deeper, deeper level, it's just that more than anything, we want to feel like we're part of a tribe. We want to belong. We want to connect with others. To me, that's the root of all fandom for all things across. It's the community one. And, if it, and it, could, it doesn't have to be sports. It could be a video game community. It could be anything that you feel like you are part of something. That's because I said it's in your DNA. When we are not connecting, we are rejecting. And rejection is a theme that goes deep, deep, deep in our human experience. Whether we are consciously or um, unconsciously rejecting, we are putting a lead blanket to our freedom behind all healthy expressions of self. Social rejection hurts, and it's not just mentally, but physically also. A study at the University of Michigan Department of Psychology showed that when they hooked up 40 individuals to these electrodes, and they were, these 40 individuals were going through intense breakups, the feelings of romantically being rejected for these folks basically coincided with physical pain, right? The goal was to see if there was neural overlap in the brain of social rejection and physical pain. And they, what they did is after they evaluated all these uh, patients or these subjects, and they measured the mental and emotional distress signals in the brain, and they found the same clusters in the brain are being lit up as when they are provoking physical distress to these folks as well. That's pretty incredible. So in other words, we are going through life avoiding rejection because we know inherently that it's going to light up the same parts in our brain that is causing pain or that is translated as physical pain. So from the authors, the current findings substantively extend these views by demonstrating that social rejection and physical pain are similar, not only are they both distressing, they share common representation in the somatosensory, somatosensory brain systems as well. So now think, are you living in a constant state of fear of rejection? Because rejection is against your natural impulse to belong and to connect. In orphanages, there's high mortality rates. Why? Because people didn't know for years why all of these infants were dying until the medical community realized that it was a lack of social interaction and human connection that these babies needed to not only survive, but to also thrive. And then think about it. When you look at the blue zones around the world, where these are the world's healthiest people, they have the highest concentration of people over 100 years of age. And this is in Greece, in Japan, Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Loma Linda, California, right over here, Nicoya, Costa Rica. All of these parts in the world are considered the world's healthiest people. And if you look, they have varying diets. Most of them are plant-based, but they're, they're, they have varying diets. 
they have uh, varying temperatures, varying distance from the uh, equator. What is it then? What you'll notice that all of these communities, the, the common thread is community in itself. All of these people have some sort of connection to family, to friends, to neighborhood, and they celebrate it. We need to do more of that. We have to. What do I do? Every month I get with a group of like-minded friends who are conscious in one goal, and that goal is changing the world with their talent. So where do you find yours? If you love basket weaving, get with basket weaving community in your town and talk about basket weaving. If you love religion, get with a Bible group. Do something that aligns with you and gives you a sense of community. Again, you all deserve to integrate this into your life and think about this as a monthly check-in for not only your long-term mental health, but your long-term physical health. You want longevity? Find community. All right. With that said, let us get pleased to the product review. I got some good stuff to talk about, and then we'll get to our special guest. All right, today's product review is going to be a really good one. We're going to go over fish oils. Fish oils are so, so important for health. Omegas are important for health. And they're so widely used across the board. So we want to make sure that we are buying them correctly and they're therapeutically doing something for us. So let's learn how to buy our fish oil. The issue with fish is one, our oceans are really polluted and there's a lot of farming and manufacturing, but they are basically houses for toxins. Unfortunately, PCBs, dioxins, heavy metals are some of the major ones that we really need to watch out for for fish. So folks who come in and they say, I'm a pescatarian and I eat fish four or five times a week, that might be a problem for me. For folks who say, I'm a pescatarian and I eat fish sparingly, then I feel a little bit better. Because unfortunately, that's what we did to our oceans and now our fish are suffering and now we are suffering. Kind of ironic. But I want to talk about for folks who are getting fish oil, how to buy it, and what to look for. The reason people use fish oils are because of the omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA. Both of them have very, uh, very drawn out effects in the body, beneficial. And um, what we want to make sure is that we're getting enough and that it's a pure oil. So number one, what you want to do, and I have three here, two from Walgreens and one professional brand one, and I'm going to show you the difference. The two from Walgreens are the Nature's Bounty and Nature Made. All right, so what companies here do is they, they'll advertise on the very front, and you'll see, for example, this Nature's Bounty fish oil did. They'll say 1,200 milligrams of fish oil. 1,200, whoa, my doctor said I need 1,200. But the problem is, is that that's sort of greenwashing in itself because it's a little bit of false advertising. When you look on the back, you're gonna see fish oil, 1200 milligrams. Then you're gonna see in small writing, it provides about 360 milligrams total, total of omega-3 fatty acids comprising of EPA and DHA. I'll say that again. I'm not that good at math, but I know 1200 minus 360 is not zero. That's the problem because they are filled with other oils but not the therapeutic kinds. APA and DHA is what you want to equal the amount that's in there. That's a big problem. And this is what Nature's Bounty and also this Nature's Made one did. The Nature's Made one, whoa, fish oil, 2,000 milligrams. My doctor said I only need 1,200. More is better, right? The problem is this. Total amount of omega-3 fatty acids is 600. The omega-3 EPA and DHA is 500, right? So if we do the math on that, six, seven, eight, nine, that's a thousand. Where's the other thousand? The other thousand is the other oils. Again, you're getting a thousand, you're looking in the front and it's being overstated. 
this is what fish oil companies do. Whereas you get this Omegagenics 1000, right? And you're seeing that the numbers in the back are equaling that, right? Uh, 710 milligrams plus 290 is coming very close to the amount that they are advertising. That's the telltale sign already. When you check for omegas, you want to make sure. Also, the EPA, you want about at 600 milligrams. You'll see that this one is about, is 600 milligrams of, um, I'm sorry, this one is 500 milligrams for two soft gels, whereas the Nature's Bounty is, I don't know, because it doesn't tell you. It just tells you overall how many are in there. So you always want to make sure that it's about 600 milligrams of EPA if you're having a fish oil to get a really good therapeutic uh, dose. And the DHA is usually around two to 300 milligrams. Also, you want to be make sure that it's you want to make sure that it's clean, not adulterated, right? I mentioned heavy metals, PCB dioxins. You want to make sure that your fish oils are purified. Okay, so there's different ways to do that, but you want to look for um, different certifications. You can see NSF International, U.S. Pharmacopeia, Underwriters Laboratory, Consumer Lab. These are independent testing now. The thing I like about, I like the Nature's Made a little bit more from as a Walgreens brand because it has U.S. Pharmacopeia um, tested, which is a third-party test, but the Nature's Bounty, I don't see nothing over here at all. Um, it has one label, and it's a pure catch label, so you know it's sustainably caught, and it says purified, eliminate, purified to eliminate mercury, guaranteed quality, lab tested, but I don't know anything about any third-party testing because it doesn't show me. So all I see is the check, check marks, which are company made. We know that this one, Metagenics, the professional brand one, has, uh, has third-party testing. Uh, the reason it's professional is because it's the highest level one, but it uses, uses third-party testing. It's third-party party verified, and it's made in GMP, good manufacturing practice facility and requirements. So now you know that these if it has a GMP label, you know that it's being um, tested from a third party and it's high quality. And if you're worried about fish burps, you wanna make sure that it's enterocoded. Usually, a high quality fish oil will never give you fish, fish burps. The Omegagenics will never give you one. Whereas the Nature's Bounty and Nature Made, I can't vouch for those. Um, usually, uh, fish oils can become very rancid very quick. So unless it's enterocoded, that rancidity is gonna be a big problem and you're gonna be burping it up, okay? And lastly, you wanna see um, sustainable um, labels like the Environmental Defense Fund or Marine Stewardship Council, or this one, the Pure Catch one. So again, very easy to look for. Um, this one was the Metagenics one that I mentioned. Other good ones out there is the Wiley's. Wiley's was a good one with a lower price point and the um, Nordic Naturals. Those are other ones that I know off the top of my head. I haven't been using fish oils for quite a while, so I've been out of the game, but I do know that those are really the high quality ones. I would stay away from the ones from Costco and Walgreens and Target just because those companies, are, those stores are not synonymous with quality when it comes to supplements. And um, I, I spoke about how to buy supplements on one of my first shows, so check that out. And there, there you go. Fish oils, whether it's for you, your dad, your mom, whoever it is, make sure you're getting a high quality one. Fish oils can be pretty toxic if they're not. And I hope that helped. I can't wait to get in Michael Trainer. Michael Trainer is a boss when it comes to everything that has to do with community, connection, travel, tribes, he's going to blow your mind. All right, so let's move to the special guest. All right, today's special guest is a very special guest, my personal friend. He is the founder of Global Citizen, and he's got this awesome podcast called Peak Mind, which I was on, and we had the most 
epic conversation from everything from mold to brain health to community. And he's just an awesome guy with so much depth. So I saw no other reason than to bring him on the show ASAP. Michael Trainer. Pleasure. How you doing, man? I feel great. You feel good? Yeah, I feel real good. How's your brain feeling? Brain's feeling good. Uh, I've been doing a lot. I did the, a fat sauna last night, which felt amazing. Uh, you know, I talked about that uh, on my show, but you, you prescribed a protocol of sauna, so I've been mm -hmm. on that heavy. And, uh, you know, as I, I think I mentioned to you, I quit. Uh, I wasn't a big drinker, but I quit drinking about, I guess, four or five months ago now. So mm -hmm. it's like I'm feeling like the effects of that clarity mm -hmm. and uh, have been rigorous with the yoga on a nearly da daily basis. On your recommendation, just signed up uh, for HIT training. So I'm going to incorporate the weights in. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm always seeking to be a better version of myself. See, that's what I like. The minute I mentioned something, I don't even finish the sentence before you're purchasing it or already <laughs> signing up for it because you are so, you are more than compliant. You are just so curious and a curious human, it would have been better for your intro. That is, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, um, people ask, what do you do? And you know, I've, I've done a couple things, but I always feel like, well, I'm a student of life, you know, I'm curious. You, you really are. And, uh, so we, we prescribe all this stuff because you suffered with something that I suffered with, yep. which is the mycotoxicity, the mold yes. exposure. Um, and we were talking about how only 25% of people can't break down those mycotoxins. You and I presumably are those people because we have those symptoms. Yes. What were your symptoms like? Symptoms for me were definitively brain fog, sleepiness, like more sleepiness than usual. Um, I, you know, sometimes I'm a, I'm a pretty joyful person, but sometimes we get irritable or I would forget things, you know, like overall, and I'm very sensitive to cognitive decline because my father, um, was diagnosed, which, you know, but for the audience's benefit with dementia. And so I had done a deep amount of research, like really deep into cognitive decline and the myriad of causation, uh, factors that, that can play a role and mold is one of them. So, uh, I was very sensitive to it. So I did the ERMI test. I did the, I've done the air tests. I isolated the source of the mold uh, externally in terms of the, and, you know, in the research found out that, you know, they say upwards of potentially even half the buildings have, you know, mold in them. You know, I watched Moldy, the documentary, did a deep amount of research and realized that, yes, very likely because I live right on the ocean uh, and in the 1970s building, drywall is pretty prolific. Yeah. Drywall is a natural food anytime there's moisture for mold. And uh, so it's very, very common. Uh, you know, if you travel in hotels, the ducts, the vents, you know, offices, not to be, you know, a huge uh, fear monger. It's just to say it's, it's pretty prolific out there. And so I just did what I could to... Uh, you know, mitigate against some of the, you know, got a tremendous number of air filters, plants that were that were very helpful in terms of the environment, obviously had the apartment remediated. Uh, they did ozone, obviously, when I was not in the in the building. But, you know, I also want, want to make sure that it was gone. So you and I did the personal test where I actually tested uh, my urine, realized that I had had a, a bioaccumulation of mycotoxins, and so therefore have been with, working with you on a protocol to to uh, get that out of the system. Yeah, yeah. And you've been doing a lot of movement, sweating, yes. detoxification, like everything that you necessarily need to be doing. Exactly. And we're going to retest you. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I've been doing, following the protocol, uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of, I do hot yoga, followed by a cold shower. I do sauna. So I'm, I'm trying to perspire as much as possible to mm -hmm. detox that way. Um, I've taken out, 
you know, some of the the foods, the sugars, mm-hmm. the, you know, anything that can cause, uh, you know, obviously be an environment for, which is, I think, true of many diseases, uh, inflammatory diseases, but trying to reduce anything that would cause inflammation or be, be, be something that would potentially propagate anything that would weaken my immune system. And uh, really have just been, you know, rigorous in looking to not only watch what I take into my body, but obviously be uh, diligent in exercising and, and, and so forth. Yeah. So what, what things have you found then amongst all of that have been really helpful for you, the most helpful, where you're like, whoa, this is a big difference? You know, I did a mitochondrial test, which is interesting. because Fortunately, because of my show and, and access to folks like yourself, you know, these incredible experts, I've, I do have, and I'm mindful because not everyone maybe listening has that same access, but you, there are things that are, that are, I would say, very commonplace. And then if you have an acute concern, I think it's worth the investment to check out. I kind of, you know, I started with the air filters. I started with the things I could get for under 100 bucks kind of thing. Then when, when the systems persisted, I, I wound up getting, you know, a much higher end air filter. I got the Rabbit Air. Um, I, no affiliation, I just had heard that it was very good. Um, and then I did, uh, you know, a variety of different, different kind of protocols, but one of them was mitochondria, mitochondrial mm-hmm. testing. So I found a lab that would test my mitochondria and they, sh- it showed actually that I had, you know, the cells in my system weren't working optimally. Um, and at that time it was still, my apartment had yet to be remediated. So, but what he said was, which is the same thing you said to me, which is basically I have a, I am, I've been exposed, but I'm resilient. And I attribute that resilience in large measure, frankly, to the hot yoga. Mm-hmm. If I were to distill down one thing, I think having a daily or near daily practice where I'm perspiring every day and being exposed to heat, which I then follow up with cold, I think that has really helped to bolster my immunity and also to shed some of the exposure. Yeah. And and we saw it like on the lab versus you yourself. I'm like, this it doesn't match up because yeah. someone should have more symptoms. You're, yeah. you're really resilient. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of sweating and yeah. I'm a huge, whether it be sauna, whether it be hot yoga or movement, I love that you're going to the, doing the HIIT workout now too. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, uh, this, and that's just a tenant for, t- for cognitive health, yeah. right? Is that weight, you know, the weight bearing exercises are so good and essential for cognitive health. And, you know, I've been doing deep research, obviously, into bolstering the mind. And so I was like, you know what, I get... I think also anytime you start to get in a rut and your body starts to, you know, get consistent with one thing, I think consistency is amazing, but I also think it's good to diversify. Mm-hmm. So I had been doing HIIT training, actually injured my shoulder, then went into the yoga. Now I've, I've gotten very comfortable with yoga. I love it. It's mm-hmm. very safe. It's very comfortable. Like I look forward to it. But then after we did our testing, I was like, all right, it's time to like challenge myself again and yeah. try something new and diversify. So I signed up for class pass and I'm going to try different workouts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the HIIT training. I'm going to do the yoga. And I feel like that combination because I wasn't when I was doing hit before I didn't have the yoga mm-hmm. so I think that combination of the weight bearing the cardio with the stretching is at least for me feels like the right cadence of activity for 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 sort of optimal health for me as it relates to that. physicality yeah, yeah I love that and a lot of the viewers and listeners can start taking notes on that because yeah. What we're really giving an overarching theme is that movement, that exercise, that sweating totally. is really important on every level, detoxification, immunity, hormones, yep. which all play a role onto your overall health and how you're resilient against mold. Exactly right. I think stillness, you know, I think stillness is is in many ways the enemy, right? I mean, we know now that, you know, there's, the, you know, famous studies that say, you know, sitting is like, smoke. this is kind of the new smoking, mm-hmm. et cetera. 
And I think we, for me, I, it was exemplified. I went up, which I'm going up this weekend to Ojai, and there's a beautiful hot springs there, which I love to, which I love to go into. And it was, it was actually just, you know, not not necessarily a scientific observation, but sort of an anecdotal observation. But I just noticed in the river where there was extreme movement, it was a very, it was very healthy, it was mm -hmm. rich, it was vital. And where there was stagnation, you know, those parts of the river where there was the water was still, yeah. you could see like, you know, kind of gross looking seaweed and bugs and mm -hmm. like, it, it was just, it was, and so for me, it was like this epiphany of just like, yeah, stagnation breeds disease and movement uh, is key for health. And, and I knew that kind of in terms of intellectually, but I was witnessing it. And yeah. so I think it's a, it's an important reminder. Yeah. Seeing that in nature is because we are that, right? Yeah. We are, that's a reflection of 100%. us. So we're like, wait a minute, what is nature trying to teach me? Imagine years ago, our ancestors were in nature and they knew all of this because yeah. they didn't have to have all of that brain fog covering up other things, but they see that and it's there. That's our truth. And you saw your truth and it's amazing. And I think that's a, you make a very important point because I, for me, nature is my way of finding center, you know, and I do meditation. I have a variety of practices. I, having lived in New York City, having grown up in Chicago, like many, I'm sure, listening who are in urban environments, sometimes it's harder to find that center or find that that place in nature. But for me, one of the key tenets to optimal wellness is actually going back out into nature and, and taking that time. Um, and cities have a, a gravity and obviously oftentimes we're shielded away from the natural world, but, you know, having like yourself interviewed a lot of the top functional medicine doctors and biohackers, et cetera, I remember having a conversation, for example, with Ben Greenfield and mm -hmm. we went deep on all the like, you know, human optimization, you know, nootropics, like all the things which I, you and I both love to geek out on. But then I was like, okay, if you were to distill it down to one thing, you know, like if you only had one thing, what would it be? And he was like, get out into nature. And I was Smart like, man. yeah, it yeah. feels right to me. You know, I mean, so much of what we're trying to do is proximate. You know, I love my red light therapy device. I meditate in front of it. But at the same time, you know, like go outside and get that sunlight first thing in the morning, you know, get set that circadian clock. You know, I think those that helps your sleep and all the different, you know, so I, th I think we are inextricably linked and interdependent with nature. Uh, I think we forget that. And so for me, one of the key tenets for my own wellness is to to take some time to get back in. I love it. That's something that I live by. Yeah. Every morning, I don't care if it's rain, cold, sleet, sun, I'm on the beach. Yes. 15, 20 minutes, I walk, I walk there, 15, 20 minutes, leave, come back, start my day. That's it. Without fail, take off my shoes, just stop for a little bit. Yep. Plus, get that cortisol awakening response from the sun. You know? Exactly, exactly. So there you go. I'm, I, two, two birds with one stone, but inextricably is, is true. We yeah. are connected, and one of the quickest ways to get back to our health is to stop for a little bit. It's interesting. We talked about stagnation, but like mind stagnation versus like monkey mind is a little different than body stagnation, yes. right? The body stagnation, we want to move. We got to stop that monkey mind too. Yeah, very good distinction. I love that you you, you drew that out because you're, you're spot on. And a lot of what's been essential for me, uh, and like everyone listening, I, I have my own monkey mind, uh, mm. has been that those stillness practices. And you know, for me, I start. I lived in Sri Lanka for two years, uh, studied with a traditional healer there in a, in a form of uh, Ayurvedic medicine. Um, but I also did, that was my first exposure to Vipassana, um, which anyone, by the way, if you ever want to do a deep stillness exercise, you know, go do a Vipassana retreat. They're free, donation-based, uh, Goenka, great legacy, all around the world. Um, they offer 10-day retreats. But for me, um, 
meditation has been central. I've now done Vedic and do deep breath work and um, a variety of different aspects to help sort of still that mind and, and bring about that center. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think moving the body and, and calming the mind are both integral to finding that, you know, that deeper sense of both self as well as to hitting that, you know, theta, you know, that theta wave uh, cognition and moving away from, you know, the the, the jittery monkey mind mm-hmm. that often keeps us from ourself and from the divine intelligence, I think, that's within us in terms of our gut, you know, like in which we know scientifically the enteric nervous system, et cetera, is deeply linked to the brain. But like, I think when you can find alignment between your your heart, your gut and your and your brain, then you're real. That to me is like, that's like exponential intelligence. Yeah. When it's firing off. Yeah. Oh, man. Exactly. You're getting, you're getting the the highest inspiration out of nowhere. Exactly. Hey, remember we were talking about micro, the microbiome and the bugs? Yeah. Maybe it's those microbiome bugs that are giving you that inspiration too, <laughs> Exactly. Right? Maybe they're yeah. smarter than we always thought. Mate, I think they are. I mean, Zach Bush, I mean, we talked about this on my show, which I, I thought was fascinating. Like there's a potential, perhaps, I mean, because we talk about, and I'm deeply interested in relationships and, you know, Harvard's research has demonstrated the greatest corollary to your long-term health and happiness is the quality of your long-term relationships. And then you and I started to speak about, because I had had a conversation uh, with, with a scientist about actually there's also a biological uh, correlation where the people you spend the most time with, not just in terms of like, you know, how, how they become your friends and you take on their behaviors, but actually you become biologically linked based on the sharing of your bacteria, et cetera. And so, and that actually has profound ramifications on your health, on your cognition, your emotions. And so you and I started to talk about perhaps in some ways we're also looking for mates or pairs or friends based on this almost like our an, an intelligence within ourselves is looking mm-hmm. to diversify that bacterium. Uh, but uh, Zach Bush, who I'm a big fan of, you know, even talks about like ancient soil. And oftentimes the microbiome in our gut is kind of a microcosmic representation of the diversity that we see in the soil outside of ourselves. And they say in many ways, like climate change, the biggest key is actually maintaining uh, biodynamic rich soil because uh, it is the source from which everything flourishes. It's also a huge carbon sink when when, uh, we treat the soil correctly. But but what I loved about the way that he kind of talked about things was just like – you know, genetically, we're actually far less complex than many organisms we consider inferior, you know, and I think he's the example of like a fly and a mouse, et cetera, where like there's actually greater genetic diversity within those animals that we consider far less complex. But the reason we are complex is because of our interdependence with the bacterium, with the viruses mm. that, that that constitute who we are. Now, yeah. we, we, we often try to negate that or think that it's not part of who we are, but actually we are in profound symbiotic relationship with those, like as we discussed, bacterium and so forth in our gut. And, you know, in many ways, there's been an assault, I think, generationally. I mean, we look at the food pyramid, for example, which we now know is antiquated and was not actually correct in terms of optimal health uh, and based on, you know, certain vested interests, but also, you know, antibiotics and the overprescription of antibiotics and antibacterial soap, which I grew up with. And great, I'm not like vilifying all antibiotics. You know, you get Lyme disease, you know, which I have. I took dioxin right away. It saved me. I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. But over, you know, doing a bombs of antibiotics anytime you get sick and killing off that diversity, it's it's a, it's a disservice, obviously, because that complexity which we get, 
you know, through the through the ideally vaginal wall for vaginally born or through the breast milk when we're born. And, and that diversity, you know, oftentimes we lose when we're, we're taking in these inputs. And to me, at least I want to, you know, maintain as much diversity in my in my gut flora and fauna as possible. Yeah, yeah. Some of the most, most healthy people around have this like tremendous diversity. We have thousands and thousands or a few thousand uh, different species. Yeah. And that diversity is the key. Yes. Right. Um, I think I think I remember reading a year years ago about this guy, a farmer in um, Ireland, I believe, and but he also would surf. Yeah. Right. This guy was outside all the time, but exposed to farm animals, dirt, yep. water. He had one of the most diverse uh, microbiome uh, examples ever. Yeah. Hundred percent. And like his health was like. And I think about you know what I go I go back and think about my dad who grew up in Ecuador on a farm. Yeah. This man has never had anything wrong with his stomach or his health, knock on wood. He is 68. He has an iron, iron stomach. Yes. And then my brother and I, or my cousins and I go to Ecuador with him and his sisters. We all get sick. Everyone's fine. Yes. Isn't it pretty incredible how- it, It's wild, mate. It, it, you, you said something so powerful there to me because- you talk about Ecuador, right? And so with Global Citizen, we have been focusing on infectious diseases largely endemic to the developing world. So we were thinking more about polio, malaria, which in no ways, they're obviously horrific. But what's interesting is if you actually go to sub-Saharan Africa, there's a very low incidence of the inflammatory diseases that we're seeing now epidemic in the developed world, right? Like dementia, for example, which is acutely personal to me, but also diabetes, you know, like half the U.S. population now is pre-diabetic, half the Chinese population pre-diabetic. And, and that's in many regards a result of our lifestyle. And where is that low? So where is that highest, that incidence of diabetes? The developed world, right? Mm -hmm. U.S., mm -hmm. uh, you know, even Iceland, you Whoa. know, the U.K. Whereas where is it? Where is the lowest incidence of those kinds of diseases? Sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. You know, kids are out playing in the dirt. They're, they're exposed to more of the natural environment, the natural world. Mm -hmm. And the places that we, you know, um, are oftentimes, you know, th these developing, quote unquote, although I don't care for that word particularly, but these places where there is more community, where there is more of a sharing with animals in terms mm -hmm. of like the, the diversity and, and a connection to nature and the natural world and also more movement and also, sunlight, you know, darkness. sunlight, exactly. More of a, a, a lifestyle that's more commensurate perhaps with our pastor or, you know, our primal roots, if you mm -hmm. will. There's much less incidence, for example, of, of diabetes, dementia, and a lot of the, these sort of different auto-inflammatory diseases that we're seeing, you know, propagate now in the developed world. So it's interesting because I think there's, the reason I share that is to say, I think there is great keys and great assets and actually thinking about how can we, uh, uh, how can we go back or incorporate certain tenets of that way of life into our own lives and in, in, in our modern living such that we can maintain that, that, that diversity and that health. Yeah. I remember when I was in school, I was reading about how, oh yeah, this disease, and we looked at the statistics, highest in this developed country. I go, what is going on? I yeah. go, we're supposed to have the medicine to take care of this. But when, as I grew through school and then out of school, I said, it's just getting back to nature, man. Yep. Like we just said, movement, sun, light, community, connection, yes. right? Soil, gut health, right? We're not sterilizing everything, right? We're, yeah. we're, we're connecting ourselves to nature. And it is, that is medicine. We in the Western world, I think, associate medicine oftentimes with a pill that treats a symptom. And I'm not in any way advocating against the necessity of certain, you know, pharmacological medicines. But I think there's also a medicine, you know, what I saw in Sri Lanka is, 
you know, and I, what we're seeing now in resurgence in functional medicine, which you're an expert in, is I think in a holistic treatment and, and a preventative worldview that I think, uh, unfortunately, we've lost to a degree in in our modern in our modern scientific systems. Mm-hmm. And I think that not, not that's not to say vilify that. It's just to say I think there is a more holistic, dynamic, preventative worldview that we can take and that can come from an appreciation of, you know, there's other medical, the Egyptian system of medicine, Ayurvedic system of medicine, there's, yeah. there's some really old, uh, but still very advanced uh, systems of knowledge, which I, I had the good fortune of studying Ayurveda, that have profound implications for our overall health. And I think a lot of it goes into that, like, how do we, how do we prevent disease before it even takes root by living healthier, optimized lifestyles? Yeah. And, and I think in the conventional model, prevention before it takes root is like, an exclamation mark blasphemy. You're like, what is going on? No, we treat what happens, <laughs> right. not prevent. So that's where integration comes in of all of these things, which I push all the time that yeah. all of these, like, I don't know how to treat someone whose legs falling off. You see what I mean? Yep. But my, my MDDO friends certainly does who yeah. are surgeons. So go, go to him. Exactly. When you come back, I'll help you heal. Yeah, exactly. Right? right. We'll make sure you don't get an infection. We'll make sure the scar heals. We'll make sure you have uh, feeling back, everything else. So the, the integration is so important. And I love that. You mentioned Global Citizen. Yep. And um, that uh, you are the founder. Co-founder, right? co-founder, yeah. Well, co-founder, co-creator, whatever term you want to use. But it was a, I worked together with a small. It was a small team, uh, but uh, we achieve, what we were able to achieve when we launched was quite extraordinary in terms of scale. From we went from vision nine months later to, to launching a festival which is now perennial. I left after uh, our third festival uh, when I found out my father had been diagnosed with dementia, but um, it's gr- going strong to this day and has grown uh, prolifically. And uh, for those listening, it's it's we built it as a movement to end extreme poverty, the condition under which people live on a dollar twenty five or its equivalent around the world, which at the time we launched was one point three billion people, and we believe actually it can be ended by twenty thirty. It could wow. be the greatest kind of success story of our generation. Wow. Wow. And and how are you facilitating this? How, what is this company doing? So Global Citizen um, largely exists uh, through through the platform itself, which is called Global Citizen, globalcitizen.org. And then the festival is sort of the marquee event um, that happens uh, both annually, but then there's all, there, there'll be special events that happen around the world. There was just one, for example, for Man- to honor Mandela's 100th birthday in South Africa, which was truly uh, profound and beautiful. But it'll be bringing together some of the largest artists in the world, you know, your Jay-Z, Beyonce's, your Alicia Keys, John Mayer, mm-hmm. you name it. And they they donate their time. And we we ask not for people's money, but actually for their for their their learning. We want them to learn about the issue. We want them to take action on mm-hmm. the issue. And so people earn their tickets based on their actions. And those actions are then leveraged because now they're in the multiple millions of actions to get multi-million and, and, and now it's multi-billion dollar commitments on behalf of the world's poor from uh, heads of state, world leaders, as well as large scale, uh, large corporations. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a, I, I, dude, you, you got to wake up every morning and be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's not by, I'm so, so honored and grateful for what we were able to create. Um, now it's grown beyond me and that there's a team that's kind of taken the reins and is, you know, it's over a hundred people now that's in the amazing. office in New York. How it should uh, be. It's exactly right. Exactly bigger right. Bigger than you. Bigger it, than you can control. hundred percent. Always like, was bigger than me. And now it's really big. Now it's you know, it's now it's like, uh, but, but I think that was the key, right? Is how could we be vessels for a vision bigger than ourselves? And I think 
one of the tenets, I know you and I have talked about community. I think there's something very powerful in in aligning to a vision bigger than yourself. And I think traditional communities, which I saw in Sri Lanka, uh, are about that. You know, in Sri Lanka, traditionally, there was no word for privacy and there's no word for possession. And I studied a system called Bahutavidya, which is one of the eight branches, which is more of the rare kind of esoteric psychosocial forms of healing. But in the context of uh, traditionally, if one person fell out of balance or into dis-ease because ba- health was considered balance, it was the role of the entire community to bring them back into balance. And that was because you and I are inextricably linked. We are interdependent. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, in our fallacy of individuality, which is leading to this uh, profound epidemic of loneliness, which is acute, especially amongst young people, we forget our interdependence. And so a lot of what we wanted to do with Global Citizen was to move away from a narrative, for example, of, oh, yeah, you know, guilt and shame, you know, like the sort of prevailing narrative of, oh, yeah, I'm going to show you a poor child Mm -hmm. in Africa with flies and Mm -hmm. ask you to give up your cup of coffee. I call that poverty porn. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like that doesn't encourage our shared humanity. That only uh, maybe you feel guilty and you're like, okay, fine. But it doesn't, you don't see that person as your shared human and, and, and see the possibility. I always think of Bill Gates as a genius. Now, whether he's a one in a million genius, I can't say, but let's say he's one in a million. He also had access to a tool, the supercomputer, uh, and 10,000 hours in the Mac Gladwell sense uh, at the age of 20. Uh, and com- so you combine that genius with that opportunity. And what, what happened? Well, we all, personal computer, which has revolutionized all of our lives, Gates Foundation, which is, you know, wealthier than many small nations and is mm-hmm. doing a lot of great work around the world. So what happens is if you have, uh, you compare uh, ability with opportunity, you have exponential possibility that all of us benefit from. And so my vision was like, even if he was one in a million, you take 1.3 billion people, that's 1,300 other Bill Gateses that all of our lives are, are deprived of because mm-hmm. they never have the opportunity mm-hmm. to thrive. And so... Anyway, a, a lot of what I'm about is around how do we gestate community? How do we change the story so that that community can thrive? And how do we see the possibilities of our shared humanity? And with Peak Mind, which is my current focus, you know, it's really about with Global Citizen, we we're focused on the world outside of ourselves, which is essential. But I also realized, perhaps it's a crass analogy, you know, take a lottery winner. They have a large windfall, right? That is a huge change. But many of them, if not most, go back to their default income or bankruptcy. Why? Because they haven't established the mindset to enable them to hold and maintain that change, that transformation. So my belief is it's essential that we do the work out in the world, but it's also essential to your point earlier that we find that key mindset, that stillness within to enable us to hold that transformation in the world outside of ourselves. Our vision with Global Citizen was to build this movement and it's growing uh, It's growing in a, in a very, very beautiful way. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we launched in 2011, so it's almost 10 years old. And there's a festival every year. This year, they're actually doing a Live Aid style event, so it'll be on all five continents. Um, and you know, we've we've been fortunate to host many of the the biggest artists in the world and and raise billions of dollars in commitments for programs driven the world's poor. And now, my vision with Peak Mind is is to bring together folks like yourself, others that are integral in establishing the context of the mindsets, the practices that we can all apply to ourselves to create a movement from the inside out, mm-hmm. so that we can we can all find that 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 inner genius and couple it with the opportunity you know that that, that we saw for example with the bill gates is to, to to see our genius take root in the world hmm. i'm seeing your blueprint now and you're a mad scientist man <laughs> yes I, this is now i now i know you for you now you're yeah. a mad scientist that's my new name for you all man. right i like it i'll take it but i but i love that because 
how do we make change if we can't even do it ourselves? Yeah. So it's got to start within. It's like the, we are the microcosm for the macrocosm. I know I'm getting a little bit philosophical here, but it's kind of like the microbiome in the soil, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we thrive in diversity, but we are all interdependent, you know? And, and so I think exactly right. Like we got it as, as within, so without. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to create that epic change without, we still need to, to do the work inside of ourselves to be able to hold that. Yeah. And, and that's what you're doing. You're bringing people onto your show and Re, and it's a diverse, diverse group, man. It's yeah. not just like biohackers. No. You know, when I before I went on, I, I started listening to a few of the shows and I'm like, God, I never even heard of this guy, but he's so interesting. <laughs> exactly. Like he's because I I have my little medical field bubble. Totally. You know how it is. Yeah. And, uh, and but you've had some you had the Dalai Lama on. Yeah. That was that's incredible. So it's like that spectrum is is amazing. But the overarching theme is how we can better ourselves, right? Yes. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, everything. Exactly. Human optimization. Like how do we optimize this 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 beautiful thing we call humanity, both mm-hmm. individually and collectively. And yeah, so with the show, you know, it's exact I try to find folks like you that I find extraordinarily knowledgeable in the medicine space. You know, and you know, I've had Dr. Hyman and Terry Walls, a lot of the folks mm-hmm. in, in in that are like you in the top in that functional medicine space, and then the spirit, you know, the His Holiness Dalai Lama's, Deepak Chopra's, then the performers, you know, like the Laird Hamilton, Maria Sharapova's, yeah, and then the biohackers, the Dave Asprey's, Ben Greenfield's, and it's and then the secret people that no one's ever heard of the, that the, are like the SEAL are, Team Six of like that. optimization. You're like, I have this guy Navin Pillay. It's it, he talks about life purpose, and I was like. This guy is on. I don't even know. Like it's Secret a whole other people. level. Yeah. So yeah. to me, it's like okay. Yeah. There's there's the folks that people know, and I try to find ways to elicit things out of them that people haven't heard before. But then also like who are the people no one's ever heard of mm-hmm. that are like whoa. Yeah. So you all uh, re- uh, viewers, listeners need to listen to that show because the diversity is like unprecedented. I've listened to different shows. Yeah. And it's there's a theme even on here. Like it's always like medically oriented, some yeah. spiritual. I had Aaron, we had a very like um, esoteric convo. Did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just, we were just shooting the shit basically. <laughs> we, we had, style. You know how yeah, it is. Yeah, I had him over, he's like, oh yeah, no, we're already recording. I was like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is his style. But um, but you have such good diversity, so everyone needs to check that out. You have a plan to write a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, right? I'm, I'm in process, yeah. Many of us have a dream to write a book. I've had inner resistance, which I've had to work through. And I'm sure I will continue to work through, but um, but I, f- I feel like I've got, there's two books actually that I'm really interested in writing. Um, one is around relationships and, and how to build next generation relationships in the 21st century, because I think many of our systems, medical system, education system, uh, are antiquated and based largely on 20th century industrial capitalism. And I think the notion of networking and trying to extract value is also antiquated. And I think... The idea of giving and leading with giving, uh, being generous of spirit, and you know some of the tenets that I was able to uh, employ as we built, for example, Global Citizen and now Peak Mind, um, I want to share in ways that other people can uh, apply in their own lives to build life-changing relationships because of that Harvard research, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and realizing that, wow, if we have one great resource aside from time, which is our great finite resource, and health which is our, the ability to enjoy that finite resource. It's the relationships with, with which we uh, navigate this, this great journey called life. And the caliber of those relationships greatly determines uh, how rich that life is. And yeah. so for me, I want to give people a roadmap to do that in a, in a really beautiful way. 
And then the second book, which I'll f- focus on after, which I've shared a little bit, is 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 sort of some of these ancient technologies uh, for modern times. Like, what are some of the ancient tools, as well as the exponential tools that I've discovered that are more modern, but sort of the ancient practices I learned, for example, in Sri Lanka, that I think people could apply that have you know exponential impact on 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 life, especially with some of the new challenges we find. You know, Terence McKenna has a famous quote where he, he says, I'm paraphrasing, the world has changed more since 1992 than it did the previous thousand years mm-hmm. uh, because of the internet and social media and all the ways that we're becoming, in a way, sort of cyborg-y. Yet, we are still, in our biology and much of our psychology, deeply connected to the evolution of humans that are, you know, for the, for the last several hundred thousand years in terms of what we eat, in terms of, you know, like how we relate. And so... I think we need a new playbook in terms of like, all right, recognizing that we have biological, you know, ancestry that is still deeply programming us, uh, yet we're living in very new circumstances. What are the modern practices, but also what are the ancient practices? Like community building, Mm -hmm. like how did tribes go about living, right? Like that I think are integral for our times because, for example, one of the great epidemics of our time is loneliness. And you and I have talked about this and you're a huge proponent of community. I'm a huge proponent of community. I think one of the great... Uh, opportunities for those listening is really thinking about and in, intentionally co-creating in the context of community because um, tribal societies knew this very very well. You know, if a if a tri- if a hunter, for example, would go out and uh, I'll just use an example in the plains and would um, slay a buffalo such that they could feed the whole village, that person didn't take the buffalo and say, oh, this is my buffalo. It's all for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, in fact, it was greatly celebrated by the entirety of the community. And also the person that he hunted with would oftentimes give him a hard time. Why? So he didn't get up on himself. He didn't mm-hmm. get to develop an ego. Oh, I'm the man, you yeah, know? I see, I the see. credit would be given to the, actually the person who was oftentimes an elder in the village who could no longer go hunt, who had made the arrow. Mm. So the credit was given elsewhere. The individual was, of course, celebrated, but was was kept in check. And so these were these kind of ancient met, uh, sort of psychologies kept it such that the unit was more important than the individual. Always kept it in check. Always kept it in check. And there were other like biological mechanisms, like a you know, in Bali, traditional in Bali, like a, a baby wouldn't touch the ground for the first year of their life and would oftentimes uh, feed from the breast of every lactating mother. Now that not only increases biological diversity in terms of the milk that that baby's been given, but then it also sees that baby sees all those women as potential mothers, as potential you know caregivers, and so so it was there was much more of a sense of connection. And now, obviously, you know we're much more isolated, and and we have to be, I think, really intentional to, you know, we're in houses, you know, our elders are oftentimes left in nursing homes. Like we don't have that same level of connection um, multi-generationally. Our our societies aren't structured that way. But yet, you know, and I saw this in my own life, you know, we're still kind of wired to want that. We're still, it's still our wiring. You know, I developed, I had a traumatic experience when I was young where I was jumped by a gang and what I developed was an obsessive compulsive personality. What does that mean? I basically would wash my hands, I'd check the door, and you know, I understood the root of that was based in trauma, but I didn't have a community in which there was a socio-religious traffic, which would have been there for thousands of years, 
wherein I could assuage that anxiety in a ritual that made sense mm -hmm. in a collective. So instead, I went off into my house and I tried to find a way to, you know, make sense of the world. And I was ritualizing, which was neurotic behavior. But in actuality, I was just doing what's deeply inside my human program. I just didn't have a, 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 I didn't have a pre-existing social community in which to re-tap into, to plug into, to assuage that anxiety in a collective. And so for me, the way that I faced that was I did, which is what they recommend with OCD, is exposure therapy. So I was like, okay, I'm, my fear, which is the basis of this neuroses, is going out in the world because my experience in going out in the world has been traumatic. So what I did was I said, I'm going to go as far away from my reality as possible. I'm going to go to Sri Lanka, a country on the opposite side of the world from where I grew up in Chicago, and some, a place I know nothing about where I stand out like a sore thumb. I'm six foot four white guy. And let's just say it's not a country with six foot four white guys. Yeah. And I was, I literally stood out like a sore thumb for two years of my life. But in facing what I was my greatest fear, I also was given my greatest gift and was also introduced to the power and potentiality of community in a culture and a society, which literally down to the linguistics was oriented around the whole, around the collective. Wow. And so that was, that, that, that was such a formative experience that it's like so deeply um, ingrained that now I want to find ways in our own individual-centric culture, which I'm not in any way vilifying. I love aspects of individuality and love freedom and love, you know, uh, a lot of what that, the fruits that that bears. But I think there's still ways we can bring in um, a sense of community to, to our lives, um, in a, even an individual-oriented society that, that lead to much greater happiness and fulfillment. Because I think many of us are chasing or society, you know, propagates this notion of fun. And fun can be fulfilling, but sometimes fun comes at the consequence of fulfillment. And I think oftentimes one of the great tech benefits of, of that ancient technology that was oriented in community building was it it reoriented us towards the power and possibility of our collective and the deep fulfillment that comes from being a stand for something greater than yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, a traditional warrior wasn't what we herald as a warrior today and that they were, you know, you know, whatever they, they would kill the most people or whatever, you know, for, for, for whatever cause a traditional warrior was something, someone that was willing to sacrifice their own life in service to something bigger than themselves. Mm. And I think, I think um, we could go on a variety of tracks, but in essence, say I think we need more of that stand for something bigger, that more of that stand for community, and I think that um, the more we can do that, I think the healthier we will all be. Mm -hmm. And we're waiting on your blueprint, man. <laughs> it's coming, baby. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, we need that blueprint because how we have social media, we have we we put on TV, we see celebration of individual individuality, sure, like just a dissolution of community. Um, but I think that 2020 is the year for community. I'm telling you, man, well, medically, it, it was on my top five things to do for people. It is. You know? And I think, look, here, I'll give a couple of examples just for the benefit of people listening. You know, technology, it's, it's it, in a way agnostic. It can be profoundly negative or it can be profoundly positive. Depends on how you use it and how you relate to it, right? So for example, just what we're doing right now, I have built a relationship with you, not because of this podcast, but... But you've been on my show, I've been on your show, we're now good friends. Yeah. That happened in part because we each created a platform. What is that platform? Sure, it's a podcast, but it's also a community magnet, mm -hmm. 
right? Like everyone has the ability to gestate community now in very interesting ways, right? Like you can create your own platform that could look like a technological platform, like a podcast where you're inviting in those um, tribal leaders that, that orient in alignment with what you care about, right? People that are listening to your show care deeply about their health mm-hmm. and you're bringing in other people that are in service to their life and they feel a part of your tribe. I throw dinner parties. Simple. S- simple. Does not have to be crazy. Literally, you can order Thai food and have everyone split the bill. It does not have to be expensive. But if you have a monthly dinner party where you invite um, all the people you met that month that, you know, instead of doing 10 different coffees, you stack it and you have them all come to your dinner party. One saves you time. Two, it adds an exponential, what I call the cascade effect, because not only will you connect, but you'll connect with nine other potential people that may add value to your mm-hmm. life. And that'll add exponential relationships beyond even that one-on-one meeting. So on that, you know, podcasts, dinners, these are all platforms where you can be the center or the nexus for a multitude of connections that gestate community. I love that. And, and those are just two small examples. I can give many more, and, and I share that obviously in my blog and the podcast. But basically... It's the idea is how can we think of things in our life today that that still gestate that that traditional and very primal and archetypal uh, context of community. I love that. We need more community, man. And I'm happy that you said that. Yeah. This whole show is dedicated to community. So, um, how do people? What's your Instagram, your website, anything? How do people find you? Yeah, Instagram is Michael Trainer. I'm pretty much Michael Trainer across all social platforms. Um, and then my website's peakmind.com org um and you can just google michael trainer for my personal website but um and yeah and then the podcast uh peak mind with michael trainer great one yeah thanks brother you've been on top there at the top. and that episode by the way like it did it's one of my top episodes i mean i've right? obviously been fortunate to interview some some amazing humans but people loved loved that episode and so for those listening obviously you're a fan of dr g as i am you went deep man you you, we you, went you in. dropped some knowledge we went we went there we went so in. Yeah. uh so yeah i think that you know the greatest thing i always love when people join and i think that's the beauty of podcasts join my community and yeah. and become a part of it um so that's probably the, if I, there was one uh i have no ask but if there was an ask that would be it would be kind of just come join that community mm-hmm. uh because i think the beautiful thing is we we all you know these 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 little these tribes come together and then we find ways to have master convergences and yeah so and build which which uh, you and i are, are we're in the alchemy of whether whether we know it or not we're in the alchemy of so so there's some magic coming down the road I and, love that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm grateful. Thank you so much for everyone who listened. And thank you, uh, Dr. G, for having me on, man. You, you've you also, people may not know in the audience, but like when we met, and I think this is a tenant actually that I write about in my book, and I, and I haven't, I haven't, I'm going to acknowledge you publicly for this. But one of the key tenants that I talk about is, is lead with giving and be a giver. Because, and it's interesting, I go on my LinkedIn so many messages, can I pick your brain? Uh, you know, and it's obtuse, it's very much about them, and it's very much an ask, which isn't necessarily bad, but if you're a busy person, that gets very little play. I had another person on LinkedIn who was like, man, I just want to say, I listened to your show, I love X, Y, Z about it. So they had done research, they had dedicated their time, they were, they were thoughtful. And by the way, I'd love to introduce you to these three people, because I think they'd be really beneficial for you. Uh, by the way, I want nothing in return. I just really appreciate you. Mm-hmm. I rep- I applied to that guy right away, right? What did you do when I first met you? We had a great conversation. We talked for like an hour about functional medicine health. You knew that I was uh, had some stuff going on with mold. 
hey man, I'd love to help you with that mold thing. Mm -hmm. You know, just like on me, love to mm -hmm. support you. Yeah. And for those listening, I think one of the keys to community, one of the keys to relationship building, which I believe you exemplify, is lead with giving and be yeah. a giver because it leads to all kinds of downstream in impacts we don't even know about. And that's not why you do it, but there's just a law in, again, in our innate humanity that's a law of reciprocity where it's like, I'd go to bat for you in a heartbeat, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because you went to bat for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, and I think that's, that's, that's what uh, community is all about. I love that. I love that you even said that. I, don't, I didn't even know you saw it that way, but it's inherent in my nature and, yeah. and I'm hoping inherent in a lot more people's natures. It's inherent in everyone's Everything, nature. It's yeah. just, in my view, some people have cultivated more of it than others. And also it's like, what story are you living in? Yeah. And a lot of, unfortunately, society's story, depending on which, which channel you're listening to, yeah. is about, I'm going to get mine. I'm gonna do whatever I need, zero sum game, win lose. I win so you lose. Yeah. And I in my view, that's a broken narrative. I think we need to get back to win-win, win-win paradigm. I'm only down with agreements where you win if I win, cooperation. You know, there's a fallacy, I think. Competition, by the way, can be great if it's if it's pushing each party to get better, mm -hmm. right? Like you can still be a competitor. It's not to say like uh, but cooperation is also innate to the human. Uh, element and, and to humanity. And so I think the more we can, we can dive into win-win paradigms and see that actually when you win, we all win. Yeah. I think the better off we'll all be. I love that, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. What a great conversation, Michael. Yeah. We'll do it again. I look forward to it. Before the year ends. Yeah, I'm in. All right, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thanks, brother. All right. Yes. What an interview. I told you Michael Trainer was going to be really good. He's, I, I just knew as being friends and the conversations we have, he would translate that high vibe combo over here. So I really hope you learned something. I really hope you can uh, spread this information to those who need it. And I appreciate you all. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, giving the show love. I really, really hope to see you here next week. Much love to everyone. Have a wonderful week.